All right, good morning. It is good to see you. I'm Alan, if I've not had a chance to meet you yet. I'm uh, the senior pastor as well as one of the elders here at our church, and we are thrilled that you are worshiping with us today. And I know I kind of sound like a broken record, but I'm going to be a broken record again. It is nice to see folks come in that have not been here since uh, COVID started uh, like 17 years ago is what it feels like. Uh, that's not an indication of how long it's been since they've been. It just is an indication of how long it feels like we've been a part of this COVID thing. But it is great to see each of you, whether you are here in the building with us or whether you are worshiping with us online, we are glad that you chose to come and worship with us today. And as uh, was mentioned earlier, I hope that you'll have a chance to fill out a connection card if you're new uh, to us so that we can kind of let you know what's going on in our church and get to know you uh, in, in a better way down the road. I hope that you've got a Bible with you. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one underneath a chair near you. Grab that, use that. You'll want to follow along as we look through God's Word together. And if you don't own a Bible or you need a Bible, feel free to take that home with you. That's our gift to you. And then on the back of the worship guide, if you've got one, is the sermon notes where you can follow along with us. We are walking through the New Testament this year, and uh, we are reading uh, a chapter a day, five days a week, and you'll see at the bottom of the sermon notes that we are now, um, we are now jumping back into the book of Acts uh, this week. And, uh, but this morning, we're going to be looking at a text from Acts as well that will tie into what's going on this week within the life of our church. Uh, before I start preaching the text, I, I wanted to show you a, a picture that is quite special to me. Um, this picture that's on the screen is a picture of me and, and my friend Steve. Uh, let me tell you why this picture, this particular one, is so special to me. Uh, first of all, this is my good friend Steve. We've known each other for over half my life. He was my roommate in seminary. We have been through some very exciting good days together, and we've been through some very low days together, and we've done life together. We're doing life together now in what very well may be the end of his life. And that's why this picture matters so much to me. Uh, he's been diagnosed with cancer. The prognosis is not good at all. And he may only have a matter of a few months to live. He lives in Missouri. So I went to Missouri in October so that we could hang out together and spend time together. And that picture is right before I boarded the plane in what very likely may be the last picture that I have uh, of the two of us together. And so this is a very precious picture to me. The reason I share that is because it actually ties into the text we're looking at today in, in Acts. In Acts chapter 20, the apostle Paul doesn't take a picture because they didn't have that technology back then, but he does sit and visit and spend time with some people very near and dear to his heart in what was going to be the last time they saw each other. You see, saying goodbye is very, very difficult, especially when we know that more than likely it's the last goodbye to that person. So with that in mind, would you look with me at Acts chapter 20? We're going to be looking at various parts of chapter 20, but let's start by looking at the bulk of what he is sharing in this conversation with his friends in chapter 20, verses 28 through 35. I'm jumping right in the middle of it. He's talking to the elders that are a part of the church in Ephesus, and here's what he says. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. 
I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I, I coveted no one else's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. This chapter, Acts chapter 20, is the longest recorded speech or sermon or message or conversation that the Apostle Paul ever had with other believers. The reason it is is because the majority of the times we see him speaking in, in the book of Acts, he's speaking directly to folks who don't know Jesus yet. But in this scenario, he's not just talking to people who already know Jesus, he's talking to some of the church leaders that are part of the church in Ephesus. So it's unique in the sense that, that, that this is captured here. And so because of that, we should see that there's great value in this. Because first of all, it's written in God's Word, which is God's inspired, infallible Word. And, and the Holy Spirit uh, allows us to have it. But also because in the context of the last conversation that he has with these men, it's important for us to see. I want to show you a, a map, and this will help you kind of see what's going on. So on this map, we're going to see this is a, a chart, if you will, of the Apostle Paul's third missionary journey. And, and I know that the print is kind of small, but I'm going to turn around and see. Do you see uh, the word, I don't know how you, how you say it, Caria, C-A-R-I-A? Over to the left of that, there's a dot just north of there, and that says Miletus. That's how I pronounce it anyway. And then just north of there is Ephesus, okay? So those two cities are going to be important. Let's leave the map on here because we see he starts in Antioch and goes west, comes around, loops around, and then comes back. Let's leave that on the screen so you kind of know what's going on. Miletus is 60 miles from the city of Ephesus. And the Apostle Paul is on a merchant ship coming back, headed towards Jerusalem, and he has a layover, if you will, and the layover lands him at Miletus, which is 60 miles from Ephesus, where he had spent three years of his life, and he's like, oh, I'm this close, I've got to see these guys, and so he invites them to come down so that he can have this conversation. The words in the scripture point to this. Look at verses 17 and 18 in the same chapter. Acts chapter 20, verses 17 and 18, it says, now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them. And so his speech to them actually begins in verse 18. We just happened to have picked it up in verse 28 a moment ago. So the reason I picked this text is because we're reading through it anyway. Also because it addresses the elders of the church in Ephesus. And because we are in the season of the life of our church that three weeks ago we approved uh, three men to come on board as elders. And that's Nathan Thomas and Howard uh, Tipton. And I went blank for a second. And John Seal and myself. And we are now serving as elders. We're celebrating that again tonight. We're going to be looking at commissioning us tonight. I encourage you to be here part of the family worship service tonight at 6 o'clock. 
But to kind of set the stage, I wanted to use this text so that we can see what the elders did back then and how the church was to respond to them so that the men that are now serving as elders, I'm going to be preaching directly to them and myself, but I'm also going to be preaching to the church body as well. So you'll kind of hear me this morning go, okay, elders, this is what it means to us. Church, this is what it means to us. And I want you to maybe take notes, at least mental notes, to think through what God's word has to say to us in the middle of all this. To kind of set the parameters, look down again in verse 22. We didn't read that a moment ago. Verses 22 and 23, Paul is describing to these men, he says, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. He doesn't know what's going to happen, but he has a sense from the Holy Spirit that he is going to be imprisoned, that he's going to be captured, and, and as a result of that, he anticipates that he's never going to see these men again. I was talking to my friend Steve on the phone yesterday to ask permission to share the story a moment ago, and he said, of course you can share that. I said, Steve, I don't know how you processed it, but the whole way me going up there, I was mentally thinking this probably is the last time I'm ever going to see Steve. He said, Alan, that's the same way I felt it. And he began to describe our trip to the airport. And to, on the trip to the airport, he just began to kind of unload some of the things he wanted to share with me, knowing that it might be the last time that we were together having this kind of conversation. And, and if you know this is the last time you're going to see someone or anticipate that it is, you're going to share some words that really, really matter. So these words that Paul shares to the elders are critical for us to understand so how did paul know these ephesians so well paul went on three missionary journeys the second one took him to ephesus and he was there very briefly and because he was only there briefly he made a promise that as as far as he could make it possible he would come back to see them again he was true to his word on that third missionary journey as he went there and he spent right at three years with them if you wanted to go back and kind of read the story behind that, you could look at chapters 18 and 19. We're not going to take the time to look at it, but that describes his time there in Ephesus. We see here now there's a very emotional farewell. Look at verses 37 and 38. This is after his speech to the men. It says, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And so then they saw him off to the ship. Let's look at this text that we started with, beginning in verse 28, and see what it is that he told the elders to do. And then elders, apply it to your life. Church, let's apply it to our life so that we can see what God is doing in the middle of all of us. If I find myself speaking to the elders and I say, elders, you need to do X, Y, Z, it doesn't mean I'm not including myself. I'm intending when I say elders, we, and hopefully I'll say that, but in case I slip up and don't say we, please know that I acknowledge that as an elder, these words apply to me as well. So on your sermon notes, you'll see the layout. It says, elders care for the church by dot, dot, dot. That's really not a place to take notes because we're going to then look at the three ways this text unpacks it. How is it that elders are to care for the church? The first point you see is watching over the flock. Watching over the flock. Look at verse 28, the beginning of it. 
in verse 28, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. This phrase, pay careful attention to, it, it could also be said, watch over the flock. The word here is, is episkopos, which means overseer. And in the scripture, the words for elder, actually there are three words. One is the word for elder, presbyteros, which we saw back in verse 17. And then overseer is episkopos. And then the third one will be pastor or shepherd, which we will look at in just a moment. But the functionality that he's going after for the elders is that as elders, it's our responsibility to oversee the church. But it's very important for us to see that it's a spiritual oversight of the church. For instance, look in 28, it says, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So, it may seem confusing when we say, okay, who is it that made these men elders of our church? We could say, well, the interim elders did. Don't you remember Don and Matt and Alan were responsible for kind of identify some men and then interview them and their wives and share that with the church and then the church approved that? Well, yes, that was the process. But what we must understand is that just as Paul says here that the Holy Spirit is who makes these men elders in Ephesus, it's the Holy Spirit that also makes these men elders here at Living Hope. Yes, the church has a role, but it's the work of the Spirit bringing it all about. Here's why it matters to us as elders. is because it's not us. It's the Holy Spirit that should be leading us and guiding us. So I'm saying to the men who will be serving as elders, John and Nathan and myself and Howard, guys, it's not us. It's the Spirit that's leading us, and we better have an ear to hear him as he leads us, or else we won't be able to lead well. So this idea, this command that we see in verse 28, to pay careful attention. What does he say? Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. So men that are serving as elders, I want you to hear me say that we cannot keep watch over the church unless we begin by keeping watch over ourselves. Elders, never ever must we think that we are so mature that we won't deal with temptations or sin. The truth of the matter is this, that Satan would love nothing more than to disrupt what, he's do, what God is doing in this church by derailing the elders or the leadership that's in this church. And in some ways, you and I as elders will even have bigger targets on our back. So we must keep watch over ourselves. We must always be on our guard. Only as we remain faithful to God as elders can we help lead the congregation to remain faithful to God as well? And so elders, I want to share with you right now how you can apply this first step. This first step of keeping watch over the flock, you need to start with yourself. We need to start with ourselves two ways. First of all, we need to keep watch over ourselves individually and also collectively as a group of elders. Let me start with individually. Each of us as elders must always Strive to study God's word, understand God's word, apply God's word, live it out, praying on a daily basis, studying and living out the scripture, holding ourselves accountable by the work of the Holy Spirit convicting us in our lives. 
But as elders, we must also do that collectively as we hold one another accountable, as we see about living out what Proverbs says about iron sharpening iron, where we are doing life together. I want to share with you as a church body that after the elders were approved, we have met twice. We met twice in the month of June, and we anticipate meeting at least twice a month here on out. One of those meetings every single month will not really be about what's going on in the life of the church. It's going to be about what's going on in the life of the men who are serving as elders. In other words, we're going to be kind of doing a D group together where we're holding each other accountable, looking at God's word, learning from each other, praying for each other, hearing prayer requests, and speaking words of exhortation into each other's lives. So that's how we're going to do it collectively. So elders, we have a role to watch over the flock, beginning first with us, ourselves. Now, church family, how can you help us live that out? How can you have a role in the process of us keeping watch over you? Here's a couple of ways that you can do this. Number one, church family, pray for us. Pray for us that we would keep watch over our souls, knowing that the Holy Spirit is leading us, but that we must listen to his voice. Pray for us. Aren't you tired of seeing on the news and in social media about leaders of congregations falling to sin and, and, and moral bankruptcy? We don't want that to happen in our church, do we? Pray for us. Yes, we should keep watch over ourselves, but as the body, it's your responsibility that you would pray for us, that we would pay attention to ourselves, and that we would walk in the Holy Spirit's leadership. Secondly, church family, not only should you pray for us, but you should also hold us accountable. If you see something in my life that concerns you, come to me. If you see something in Nathan's or John's or Howard's life, go to them and chat with them and have a conversation with them in a loving way that you're holding them accountable. And if there's some concern you have that's maybe bigger than that, you, you need to communicate with all four of us. I would keep our, our email address handy. It's just simply elders, E-L-D-E-R-S, at LHBC.net. And you can reach out to us. But you have a responsibility to help us keep watch over ourselves by praying for us and by holding us accountable. But Paul doesn't stop at saying, keep a watch over yourself. Look at verse 28. It says, be careful and pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. And you're like, why the word flock? That's such a weird word. Why is he using that? I'm, I'm, I don't even know what that word means. Like flock of seagulls. What is it? It's a flock of sheep. You're like, okay. I, I don't live in Mills County. I don't have any sheep. What's this all about? Here's the deal. Most of us probably don't understand a whole lot about sheep. But the reality is this. All throughout Scripture, God refers to his people as sheep, right? And so when you put all the sheep together, then you got a flock. Specifically as it relates to an elder in the local congregation, whenever Paul says, keep watch over the flock, he's saying keep watch over the congregation that's a part of your church body, your church family. It's kind of a weird word. We don't really use that word a whole lot, but it still fits here because that's what God says in the Old Testament and the New Testament when talking about his people. Elders, if we're going to keep watch over the flock that God has given to us and trusted us with, then elders, we must never neglect the flock. I ran across this article 
Uh, I'm reading some cities and locations in the country of Turkey, so I may not say them right, but this is a news uh, article that came out in 2005 in Istanbul, Turkey. And here's what it says. Hundreds of sheep followed their leader. It's talking about the sheep leader, not a shepherd. Hundreds of sheep followed their leader off a cliff in eastern Turkey, plunging to their deaths this week, while shepherds looked on in dismay. 400 sheep fell 15 meters to their death in a ravine in Van province near Iran, but broke the fall of another 1,100 sheep who fell on them but survived. Shepherds from Iklizer, something like that, village, listen to this, neglected the flock while eating breakfast, leaving the sheep to roam free. Elders, may we not neglect the flock that God has given to us by eating breakfast and not paying attention to what's going on around us. Church, how do you respond? How do you help us live out this command that Paul gives us to keep watch over you? How can you help us with that? I encourage you to receive our oversight. I encourage you to pray for us that we would lead well. And then elders and church, I would encourage you to consider the words that the writer of Hebrews gives us in Hebrews 13, verse 17. In Hebrews 13, 17, there's instructions for leaders of the church as well as the church itself. And I believe that if we both live out the words that are found here, then we will be able to live out this idea of keeping watch over the flock. Listen to what Hebrews 13, 17 says. Talking to the church, he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So in this text, elders, we see that as we watch over this flock, we must remember the seriousness of our charge because it says that we will have to give an account for how we did. And that account will be given ultimately not to this church, but ultimately to God himself. And then church, this verse says to let us do that with joy and not with groaning. So we have a responsibility as elders to keep watch over you. You have a responsibility to pray for us, hold us accountable, and to allow us to lead you and watch over you. The second way that elders are to care for the church, also there on your notes, is by shepherding the flock. Look at the verse again, verse 28. It says that, um, it says at the end there, it says, uh, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So I, I picked up that word care, care for the church. What he's actually saying is not only care for, he says to shepherd the flock. The word care for, if you go to the Greek, is the word poimain. The word poimain is one who is a shepherd or one who is a pastor. And so as elders, we're responsible to pastor or shepherd the flock that God has given to us. So what does a shepherd do? Like, if we were with actual, literal sheep and we were out in the field, what, what would a shepherd do to care for or shepherd the flock? Well, his responsibility would be along the lines of 
of safety and welfare for the flock. And as elders, that's our responsibility as well. I want us to remember, elders, though, that this is not our church. What does it say in verse 28? It says this is the church of God. It's not our church. It's his church. And not only is it his church, look at the end of 28. It says it's the church that he obtained with his own blood. God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for his church. God loves his church dearly, and as elders, we must love the church along those lines as well. And that should inform us as elders as we shepherd the church. So elders, how are we to live out this idea of shepherding the flock? I want to list for you four ways that we as elders should be shepherding the flock. And with each of these four ways, I'm going to then interrupt myself and describe how the church can react to those four ways. So what are the four primary ways that I see that the shepherd or the pastor or the elders are to care for the flock? Number one, the way we do that is by knowing our sheep. Elders, we must not just know our sheep on the macro level. It's our responsibility as shepherds or elders to know our people individually so i encourage you as elders get to know the congregation better than you already do hear their their hurts hear their needs hear their soul needs hear their joys hear their frustrations hear their concerns hear their spiritual needs elders we must know our sheep church how can you help us know you Allow us to get to know you. Allow us to get to know you by being open and being transparent with us. If you have hurts, let us know what those hurts are. If you have fears, let us know what those fears are. If you're going to the hospital for a surgery, let us know those things. So elders, our responsibility is to invest the time to get to know our people. And church, your responsibility is to, to be open to allow yourself to be known by your elders. Not only should we know our sheep, secondly, we should lead our sheep. Elders, the way we lead our sheep must be humbly, patiently, and gently as we guide them in the ways of Jesus. I'm not a literal shepherd with a bunch of sheep, but I, I do know this. A shepherd's not going to go out there and beat his sheep into submission, but instead a shepherd is going to tenderly, gingerly, lovingly guide and care for his sheep elders that's how we must lead this congregation church how are you to respond to this idea of us leading you first of all we as elders acknowledge that we are far from perfect but as elders we are seeking the spiritual leadership of god and through such as that we encourage you to follow our lead as we lovingly seek to lead you. Here's the third way we're to shepherd the sheep, and that is number three, feed our sheep. Elders, it's our responsibility. In fact, if you read the, the, the description or requirements or qualifications or job description for elders, one of those things is that he must be able to teach. And so we must be able to teach our congregation the truths of God's word. 
We must lead the way in helping our people see the need to study and apply and live by the truth of God's holy, perfect word. Elders, it's our responsibility to rightly teach the sheep. We must never shrink back from that. Church, how is it that you can help us through the process of us attempting to feed you? The biggest way that I can think of is for you to hold us accountable to our teaching, study the scripture for yourselves, so that the only feeding you get is not from us as elders, but that you are a self-feeder as well. To understand where I'm coming from, look back a few pages to Acts chapter 17. This account is the account of some guys and people by the name of the Bereans. Look at Acts chapter 17. In verse 11, he's describing, Paul and Silas are describing their in, interaction with these, uh, these Jews that are referred to as the Bereans. 17.11 says, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness. In other words, they heard the teaching that Paul shared with them. But it says, they also examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So elders, we must teach rightly. Congregation, your responsibility is not to just take at face value what we say, but also be studying God's word yourself to make sure that the things we're saying to you are accurate. So yes, we are to feed you. And at the same time, as a follower of Jesus, you're implored by God himself to study the word for yourself as well. Here's the fourth way we should shepherd the sheep, and that is to protect our sheep. Maybe we should protect our sheep kind of like this teenage girl protected her dogs. Check it out. PSA, she later said, as did all of the officials, that was a dumb thing for her to do. <laughs> Not the wisest thing. But as elders, the wise thing for us to do is if we see wolves coming after the flock, that we do everything we can to shoo them off and get rid of them. I mean, isn't that what it says? Look with me down at verse 29. He says, I know that I'm departing, and when I do, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Paul says, elders, protect your sheep by fighting off the wolves and these wolves it says can come from two places these wolves will come from outside the church and at the same time men speaking twisted things will actually arise from among you the the net version of this passage says teaching perversions of the truth 
The world and even the church at times is full of false doctrine and heresy and misdirection. Elders, it's our responsibility to fight off those attacks. You may be wondering, well, why would there be attacks from within? Wouldn't you think that Satan would love the most to subvert and destroy what God is doing from, by first attacking from within? So church, your responsibility is to pray for us that we would lead well, kind of like that girl did on the video, that we would protect you, that you would fight off any kind of a disunity or, or, or division that may be happening, that you would not fall prey to false teachings our job as elders to watch over the flock and to shepherd the flock and then the last thing I want to mention to us is that it's our job to warn the flock look down in verse 31 elders this verse says therefore he's talking to the elders therefore be alert remembering that for three years remember he was with them for three years on that second missionary journey or earlier on that mission journey I should say therefore be alert remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Paul had poured his life into not only these men who were elders, but into the congregation as a whole there in Ephesus while he spent three years with them. Listen to the passion that he describes as he spent those three years. It says... That, that he spent those three years admonishing them, but he also, with tears. He says it didn't cease night or day. He was constantly admonishing with tears that congregation. Elders, that's the kind of passion and vision that God is giving to us, that we are with all sincerity, humility, and love to pour out our very lives for this congregation. He tells us two things, elders. First of all, he says, be alert. Be on your guard. It's very much like this idea of pay careful attention to, watching over the flock, be on, on alert. And then he also says that we're to admonish, which means to warn or exhort to encourage the flock to avoid dangerous consequences of certain actions. So elders, love this body enough to be bold and admonish and warn and exhort, but do so with all love and sincerity. That's the role of the elders. Church, how are you to respond, receive, Seek to follow our admonishment, our exhortation, while also remembering what I said about the Bereans, study the scripture as we admonish and exhort and encourage you. I have in my notes there, elders, I forgot to mention this. As I read these words, and as commentators read these words about, about um, uh, Paul praying and, and, and being in tears over this congregation is similar to how a parent would lovingly plead with their child to remember how they were raised. And this is what we're called to do as elders. So if you look at your sermon notes, it says that elders care for the church by watching over the flock. 
We kind of talked about what that looked like. Also by shepherding the flock, we looked at some descriptions there. And then by warning the flock. But I want you to see at the very bottom of the sermon notes. The very bottom of the sermon notes says, But the ultimate care for the church is found in the word of God's grace. It's not ultimately in the elders themselves. Look at Paul's words in verse 32. After he's given these instructions to the elders, he says, Now, I commend you elders to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. This idea of commending someone. What Paul is saying is that he's setting them before. He's committing them to. He's entrusting them to God's care. So elders, we must remember that we are in God's care and he is the one leading us and guiding us in congregation and elders alike. We must remember ultimately it's not our job as elders to care for you because we are humans and we won't give you the ultimate care you need, but rather that ultimate care comes from God as he uses us to display that care, if that makes sense. That the elders are tools that God chooses to use. You see, Paul was leaving the elders, but he reminded them that God most definitely was not leaving them. So for this reason, even as Paul sadly says goodbye to the Ephesian elders, he's not wringing his hands going, oh my goodness, I'm so anxious, I don't know what's going to happen, I, I'm not really sure I'm leaving and these boys can't do it on their own, I'm, I'm scared to death. No, he, he leaves with encouragement because the God of grace is with these elders, the God of grace is with this church. And he can say goodbye with confidence that the power of the word of God would protect and preserve the church. I love kind of these three things that Paul says about the word of grace. It says the word of grace is able to do three things. It's there in verse 32. Before I list the three things that it's able to do, I want you to hear what the word able in Greek means. The word able in Greek, and again, I don't always uh, uh, say the words correctly, pronounce it, because I'm used to Greek being written as opposed to speaking it. It's kind of like my Spanish. I can hear Spanish, but you better not hear me speak it because I'm not good at saying the words. But the word able is dynamite. That's, or dunamite, depending on how you want to pronounce that. Do you know what that is the root word for? Dynamite. Dynamite is powerful. Certain ability that the word of grace is ultimately powerful to do three things at least three things according to what paul says that god's word or message of grace is able to build us up it's able to give us the inheritance that we will have in the very presence of god and it's able to sanctify us or to make us holy to make us more like him Ultimately, this passage, while it speaks to us as elders, while it speaks to you as the church, I should say to us as the church because as elders, we're a part of the church as well, but it speaks to the elders and it speaks to the church most definitely, but ultimately, this passage is not about the elders. This passage is about God and his provision. 
You see, all too often as Americans, we make a mistake. We go to the Word of God and we look to insert ourselves into the story. We look to make ourselves the hero of the story. We perhaps see the story of David and Goliath. You know that story, right? David and Goliath, and David uh, used the, the stones and he flung the stones and he killed the giant, and Israel had victory. If we're not careful, we begin to think about, well, how can I be like David? How can I conquer the giants in my life? That's so far off base. David's not the hero of the story. God is. David didn't bring liberty and freedom from Goliath. God did. The story of Moses and bringing the people out of, Israel, I'm sorry, out of Egypt into Israel, it's not about Moses and what he did. It's not about how Moses parted the Red Sea. It's about how God did it, and he used Moses to do that very thing. If you ever go to the scripture and you try to insert yourself into the story and make yourself the hero, you are off base. The hero of the story is always God. He is the one that brings redemption. He's the one that brings hope. And so even as we read this, and elders, we should take this task seriously and see our role. Church, likewise, neither of us, none of us are the hero. God is the one. And even while that's true, even as that's true, let's not shirk back from the fact that God lovingly in his sovereignty and in his grace has chosen to provide his provision for his church through the use of his elders. So elders and church, let's trust God as he actively uses all of us to experience his word of grace. Now, I'd be completely off base if I left that and prayed for us and we were done. The reason I say that is because I, I need to unpack what is the message of grace even about? What is the word of grace about? Because I understand that there's people in this room and perhaps people watching online that have not experienced that word or message of grace. And today should be the day that you hear that grace and say yes to God's grace. God's amazing grace. Here is what God's grace, what God's good news is all about. The good news starts with the bad news. And the bad news is that all of us as humans are sinners. The Bible says there's not a single one of us going the right path. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Do you know what that means? Yes, it means that we're a bad person, but more than that, it means that we are totally, completely, utterly, and always separated from God. It means that the wrath of God is going to be poured out upon us, and we will experience his judgment for our sins. And that begins now in separation from God and ultimately in a place called hell after our death. But let's get to the word of grace, the message of grace. And here's what the word of grace is. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So this morning, don't live in the bad news. Don't live in this idea of, of well, I guess I, I'm a sinner and I'm never going to experience God's grace and or think I'm going to earn my way to God or I'm a good person that surely it'll add up and, and I've got enough good works to outweigh my bad works. All of that is a fallacy. 
The only way to be in right standing with God is through his grace. And grace means it's something we did not earn, something we did not deserve, something we did not do. But God sent his son to die in our place, to die for the sins that we commit. Even though he didn't deserve death, even though he was perfect and had no sin, that he died in our place as our substitute. And the message of grace is that he not only died in our place, but three days later he was raised to life, overcoming sin and death and destruction and the wrath of God if we would simply turn in trust and obedience and repentance of our sin and trust in him and him alone for salvation. So as important as this topic of being an elder and doing it well is, as important as this topic of being the church and and living out God's plan together as a church body, the most important thing that any of us could do this morning is to say yes to the word of God's grace so this morning as we get ready to pray and then as we get ready to sing a song in just a moment i would encourage you to say yes to god's grace i would encourage you maybe to pick up that connection card that's in the chair in front of you and mark down your spiritual decision or come and pray at the altar or come and share with me or or stop me in the hallway or if you know some of the leaders of the church some of the elders or deacons or or just people you respect in this church as you dismiss in a moment you can talk to them about salvation but say yes to God's grace do you remember that picture that I showed you of Steve I said that that probably was the last picture that I would ever have with Steve but the reality is this This could be the last moment that I have to see some of y'all. Death could be knocking on our door in the next few minutes or hours in any of our lives. I'm not trying to scare any of us. I'm just saying we don't know what the duration of our life is going to be. Don't put off saying yes to Jesus. Say yes to him today. God's message and word of grace is available. Turn to him for salvation. Turn to him for hope. Turn to him for purpose. Let me leave us in prayer. Father, I thank you that we've had a chance to look to your word this morning and be reminded of the truths that are found in it. God, I thank you for the challenge that you've laid out for elders to live up to the tasks and responsibilities that you've given to us as spiritual leaders in this church. I pray that you would give us the ability to do that. I pray for Howard and Nathan and John and myself. Pray for the church as well that they would uh, be a part of the process and pray for us, encourage us, and lift us up and, and, and hold us accountable and all of those things we've talked about today. But God, I pray that your word and message of grace would carry it all. That as elders, we would rely upon your grace. That as church members, we would rely upon your grace. Our interaction with one another, that we would rely upon your grace. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts right now. That you would allow us to say yes to you in this process of starting having elders here at our church. And God, I pray for those that are with us right now that have never said yes to the message of 
grace that today would be the day that they would say yes to you. Maybe even as our heads are bowed and we're praying, maybe you need to begin to call out to God right now. Ask him to lead you in whatever it is that you've heard this morning and, and ask for wisdom and insight and leadership along those lines. But I, I'm speaking specifically to those that are never said yes to Jesus for salvation. Would you call out to him right now? Would you acknowledge your need for a Savior and that Savior is not yourself? Would you call out to Jesus asking him to bring that word and message of grace into your life as you say yes to the man, to the, to the God who sent his son as human and fully God that he died in our place? Would you say yes to Jesus this morning? God, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. Help us to rest in your grace. Help us to move forward in your grace. Help us to live in your grace. May your will be done. May we hear your voice this morning and say yes. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Would you stand with us?